All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Diving Into the End Zone. Dominic Arbolino here again, and only two episodes in, we're already changing things up just because I thought it was, you know, time for a change. And instead of having weekly guests, I'm just going to have a regular co-host now. And that co-host is none other than Alex Warner, who joined me on my second episode, and I decided to keep him around a little bit. So how you doing, Alex? I'm good, you know, happy for the opportunity to, you know, talk some football and be here on the podcast every week. Exactly, and we have a lot of news to break down, and we'll just get right into it, starting with Cam Newton, quarterback for the New England Patriots, tested positive for COVID-19 today, and if you're, you know, if you listen to this on another day, this is October, it's 3rd, right? October 3rd, yeah, it's Saturday, it's the day before football games. <laughs> so, pretty much... Tested positive this morning for COVID-19. The Patriots versus Chiefs was originally set for 425 tomorrow, but is now going to be played either Monday or Tuesday, and it's more so looking like Tuesday. But as of right now, Alex, I'm looking at this, and they might they might not even play this week. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you see that, and maybe they don't play this week. But you look at the Falcons and the Bears last week; they only had one one positive test on on the Falcons side. They still played the game, no other tests. I mean. Technically, now there's two positive tests going into this game. You got one for the Chiefs, one for the one for the Patriots. Obviously, Cam Newton being a star draws a little more attention to it, but I feel like the same procedure should be followed as last week with the Falcons game. They, you know, they still played it. Everything went fine. Tests came up this week. Nobody extra had all the tests from that game, and I think it went well. You know, the game was played. Nothing was set back. I think the only thing that Roger Goodell and the NFLPA are probably worried about is having a situation like the Tennessee Titans right now because obviously we know they're pretty much having a pretty bad breakout. It's up to 16 total COVID-19 cases, which we'll get to after we finish breaking down this game. And it's just, I want them to play. I want the, you know, the season to do well. I want them to be able to get over this hump. You, know, you saw the MLB kind of do it once you know, they had their breakouts. And I want to see the NFL bounce back from this. But the thing is that you have to take you know, concern of the players' health. And I think they're doing the right thing with the Titans and Steelers game. Now, they really have a tight decision to make. Because you just think about how much of a loss this is for the NFL just based off the game. I mean, it's the New England Patriots versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, Tom Brady isn't there, but it's Belichick versus Andy Reid. It's Tony Romo and Jim Nance. Exactly. On CBS, that's you know one of the best... Broadcasting duos. They they pay him. They pay Tony Romo more than ninety percent of the quarterbacks in the NFL. Exactly. And then, so then on top of that, I mean, you just think about all the the viewers that would be watching that game. I know. I know. I would definitely tune into that. I mean, Cam Newton, again, twenty eleven MVP with the Panthers. He's kind of looking back into that form. Not really. I wouldn't push it for an MVP, but he definitely has probably looked the best he's ever had since that season. And I think it has to say that it's because of Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels. They're building this offense around them. And it's really unfortunate for the NFL that we couldn't see that matchup. You know, the Chiefs obviously have been red hot. Best team in the NFL. No shock there. And now we get, you know, we're losing a matchup possibly. Yeah, no, this is definitely one of the best matchups of the season, you know, going into it. You didn't know what you had, but Cam's looked great. And, you know, the Chiefs knocked off the Ravens last week. I don't really see them losing for the rest of the year, you know. Maybe in a week 15, 16, where they're resting their players just to be safe, they lose a game or two. But they knocked off the Ravens pretty easily, and now this game, this Patriots game, not going to be played with Cam most likely. So it looks like another walk in the, walk in the park for them. But again, you never know with Bill Belichick and his teams, whether it's from the beginning of the season or week to week. He always plays his team strength. 
He knows how to build his quarterback around his quarterback, whether it's Tom Brady or Tom Brady's out for the year, then it's Brian Hoyer taking them to the playoffs. He just he just knows how to pull the right strings and make the right moves to be a successful coach in this league. And he's got he's got what it takes. But looks like the Chiefs could just walk right through this one. So now we find, you know, or I should say the Patriots find themselves in the situation that they were kind of dealing with before the season even began, and that was Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer. Those were the two quarterback options for the New England Patriots that they were feeling comfortable with, but then obviously things changed once they, once they decided to give Cam Newton a one-year contract. But now that he's obviously out for this game due to COVID-19, who do you think gets the starting nod here? Well... I'm thinking Brian Hoyer, you know, the flexibility within the system. He's been there a while. Well, no, he's been there a while, but he's been there on and off for a couple of years. Definitely familiar with the system. And you'd like, you'd like to think that if they wanted Jared Stidham to be the starter, he would have been starting over Cam because that was the talk last year. They they liked the Stidham kid. Um, they were comfortable with letting Brady go because they had him. You know, obviously you don't want to let Brady go, but they were fine with their other choice. And you'd like to think that they saw something different in him, that they chose Cam over him, and they went out and signed Cam as opposed to trusting him with the offense. So my gut tells me that Brian Hoyer starts if Cam Newton doesn't. Yeah, and I would have to agree with you that, you know, Brian Hoyer seems like the easy option to start here. Like you said, if they were really comfortable at Stidham, he would have been the starter. They might not even sign Cam, or if they did, he would have been the backup. Brian Hoyer obviously has played in the system before. Hasn't been a while, or it's been a, it's been a while, I should say. But I still look at this though, and I think this couldn't have been a worse game for this to happen for the Patriots going up against the Chiefs. You know, obviously, like I mentioned before, probably one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best team. And you just think, you know, Patriots fans are probably saying, why couldn't have this been the Jets that they <laughs> can't even had to have this happen? Uh, you know, I mean, for the Patriots, I wouldn't say this is probably the worst game that could have happened against them. You know, look at the playoff format this year. There's only one bye week, and pretty much Chiefs have already got that locked up unless something tragic happens to one of their players. And so I would say the most important game or games for them would be the Bills. The Bills look great, and they want to win that division. They're probably going to have to beat Buffalo at least once. And so if this were to happen in a game against Buffalo, that would probably mean more to them than it would against the Chiefs because, you know, it's nice to have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, but the Chiefs are probably going to have a better record anyway, and they're probably going to get that one bye week in the playoffs. So it's going to be pointless for them. So I'd say having the tiebreaker over the Bills and winning those games is definitely a little more important right now than the Chiefs game. So Yeah, and especially because the Bills are arguably one of the best teams this year so far. I mean, Josh Allen... You, you, a lot of people can make the argument now that he could be a top-five quarterback playing right now. I think he definitely is, based off just stats. You know, whether, you know, we're both Jeff fans, but, you know, whether we can say what we want about him or not in the past, I mean, he's showing that he's definitely deserving to be an NFL starting quarterback in this league. I mean, he could do it on the, with his legs. He has the arm. The accuracy looks a little better. I mean, the Bills have done everything right in terms of building around him. You know, they acquired Stephon Diggs, John Brown a while back. Cole Beasley, I mean, they built this offense perfectly around them. You yeah. knew Buffalo's defense was always going to be good. Sean McDermott was a great defensive coordinator in Carolina, and then he managed to obviously take over the head coaching job for the Bills, and the defense has always been good. That hasn't been the issue. It's just a matter of when this offense can get going, and it seems like that's finally happening at the best time. Yeah, definitely. It's you know, the, the When they drafted Josh Allen, they didn't have a great team, but they, they read the book on how to build around a young quarterback, and they did it the right way, yeah. Fortunately, uh, other teams in New York didn't do the same thing with their quarterback. 
But the Bills definitely doing that. They got the good defense. They got the great. They got the great offensive line. They have. They went out and got Diggs, and they got some other solid weapons around him. So he's definitely playing well right now. He's balling out this season. Um, accuracy is still up for uh, up for grabs there because he looks a little shaky on some of the throws, but definitely a lot better than years past. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it definitely. It's still an issue that needs to be worked on. But it's definitely improving, whether it's slowly or not. Just any improvement, it's definitely what Bills fans want, and that's what they're getting right now. But so, yeah, there's definitely he's never going to be a quarterback in his career that has a 75, even 70 percent completion percentage. But he's probably playing to the best of his talents right now, and he looks like an elite quarterback out there right now. Yeah, and that's everything they need right now, especially with that AFC East division up for grabs. Ever since Tom Brady left the New England Patriots, that was the whole talk. So oh, who's going to take over that uh, AFC East? But I don't know. I still think in the end it could be the Patriots, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyways, so now that the Patriots versus Chiefs game is being, you know, obviously moved to Monday or Tuesday, the Colts versus Bears game has been flexed to 425 tomorrow, 425 tomorrow instead of 1. So, quite the drop off. <laughs> Colts are obviously having a good year. I will say though, it is kind of interesting to have this game because now Chicago is 3-0. Shocking. They should be 2-1. But Atlanta loves to blow leads. We all know that. And Nick Foles is finally taking over as this starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Do you think they're going to roll with him the whole entire season? Or do you think it's going to be a, a shakeup every couple of weeks? No, I think uh, definitely Nick Foles is the guy right now. I mean, you look at the situation he had in Philly. He had the good line. He had the good defense. You know, Give give Nick Foles some time. So he'll make the right plays. He's a winning quarterback. Not necessarily a top-tier talent quarterback, but he's definitely a winning quarterback. Very similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, when he goes to a new team, you know he's going to be starting eventually. So you had to expect this. Trubisky was always had a short leash, never played up to what they were expecting from him. So when they got when they, they went out and traded for Foles, you had to expect he'd be in there at some point in the season. Now they're 3-0. He's, he, he, he got them to 3-0. I think they're going to roll with him for a little bit now. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting situation going on in Chicago. And, I mean, Nick Foles is a guy that took over for Carson Wentz once he went down with his injury, you know, led the Eagles to a Super Bowl and won them the Super Bowl. I mean, he he showed he showed that he has the composure and the talent. It's just a matter of if he could finally find a situation where, you know, he can finally take over as that starting quarterback. A lot of people thought maybe Jacksonville, but then he went down with an injury in week 1 and then Minshew magic happened and they kind of just rolled with that. I mean, that contract to begin with, everybody questioned it because it was a pretty big contract for Nick Foles in Jacksonville. I mean, again, obviously he was a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but still obviously a shaky move and clearly didn't work out for Jacksonville. So you have to think maybe, hopefully, Nick Foles finally found a home in Chicago, but we'll see what happens going on. He's going to be obviously playing and we'll see what happens there. Hopefully he'll play well. I've always been a Nick Foles fan. I, I, I really never root against him. I have no reason to. I just want him to succeed. I want him to finally get a home. Yeah, totally agree. You know, he took down the Patriots, prevented them from winning another Super Bowl. So always <laughs> a big fan of his. Whoever takes down the Patriots, we're always going to like. That's clearly how it is. Unless it's the Buffalo Bills. Or Eli Manning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but even still, it's I like I, I obviously didn't like Eli just because of being a Jets fan. But it's just like, would you really have rather the Patriots win those Super Bowls? No. Exactly. Yeah, we had to deal with the annoying Giants fans at home, but, you know, I'd rather that happen anyways. But, so we'll move on to the Titans finally. This has been a total mess. Again, like I mentioned before, they have 16 total COVID-19 cases between players and staff members. 
So now let me just kind of break this down to you because it's a lot. Titans versus Steelers will now be played during Week 7. The Steelers versus Ravens will move from Week 7 to Week 8. And the Steelers, Steelers and Titans now have a bye this week, which is Week 4. And the Ravens' bye will be a Week 7, will be Week 7, excuse me, instead of Week 8. This is a whole mess. And I think this is what Roger Goodell wants to avoid with the Patriots versus Chiefs game. But depending on, I mean, they're going to get more testing in definitely between the Patriots and Chiefs. So you have to think there could be some more cases going on. And I don't know, this whole situation is a mess. Like, obviously, we all knew this was going to be a problem going into the NFL season. The fact that they really couldn't do a bubble system because, you know, there's just so many. There's 32 teams with 53 players each. You have all the different coaches, the training staff. That's too many people to put into one bubble or even multiple. It still would involve traveling. There was really no way around it. If you're going to have the NFL season, there wasn't going to be a bubble. And it's just like the MLB. And again, I brought up before the reference of the MLB kind of getting over this coronavirus attack in the beginning of their season. So hopefully this could be the same deal. But it's it's a little alarming just as a football fan. You know, I I would hope that they can get out of this. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you look at the way baseball started, and very, you know, it was almost too perfect that the the football season didn't go without a single positive test for the first two weeks, and then now you got this disaster in weeks three and four kind of combined together with the test last week. And like we mentioned before, they did play that game, and there were no extra tests. But now we got the Titans with sixteen total cases, and this game can definitely not be played right now, especially with everything going on. But yeah, you look at the NFL right now, and they were the last league to be affected by this. Every major sports league has been affected by this in some way, shape, or form. So they, out of anyone, should have had the most time to prepare and have the right procedures in place. There's a little bit of a disaster right now, but hopefully they get it straightened out because I would hate to see the football season canceled. You know, there's one good thing going right now. It's football. So hopefully we keep it up. Um, but they just got to make some adjustments, maybe similar to baseball, they kind of didn't really have any guidelines in baseball, and the guys just kind of went out and did whatever they want when they weren't at the stadiums, weren't practicing. So I think the NFL needs to put some harsher guidelines on these guys, um, limit what they can and can't do when they're outside the team facilities. This way, you know, to possibly prevent these cases from coming inside the facilities. Because as we've seen with the Titans so far, once it's inside the facility, it spreads like wildfire. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head where the NFL, they couldn't have asked for COVID to hit at a better time. The biggest game of the year, the Super Bowl, was over. And pretty much it started to affect just the off season, where with you know free agent plans and visits and you know the NFL Combine and the draft. But obviously they still worked around that. But they really couldn't have asked for a better time for this to hit. And then you think about it, they had all this time, all this time to plan of something, you know, some type of plan to make sure that you could kind of avoid this type of situation. Like you said, maybe be stricter with the players, you know, stop being stupid, stop going out or whatever they're doing, you know. The NFL and Roger Goodell, they could have done so much better to me in, with this whole situation where, the, again, with the guidelines. And I'm I'm worried. Like you said, the NFL is going so good right now and everything, you know, everything's been fun. It kind of feels normal. Obviously, it's different with having no NFL fans in the stadium and all that loudness going on. But even the audio, I feel like they're still doing a good job with that. It's still weird hearing it and not seeing anybody celebrate, but... I think they've done a pretty good job where it kind of just feels normal. But the thing is, is that you have all these outbreaks starting to happen now and you have to just worry about the player's safety and then if this is going to continue. I mean, 
you think about it, think about how many players the Titans are going to miss in next week's matchup against the Bills. If that can even happen, depending on how this week goes with the Titans. I mean, you never know. So you have to think that if this whole situation starts to continue with the Titans, that it could affect the whole entire season. And then you also have to think about, too, I mean, yes, the players, majority of the players are healthy enough where if they get COVID, they're going to be okay. But then you have to think about the staff. You know, and all of, there are obviously a lot of staff members on all NFL teams are older, majority of them. So you have to think how this could affect them in their lives. Because, again, they're older and they could be more affected by it. Yeah, and definitely. A lot of these players obviously, uh, you know, may not be as hit as hard as uh, some people may be. But they all have families and a lot of them have, you know, kids as well. You know, Patrick Mahomes has a child on the way as well. They don't want to necessarily be bringing this stuff around their young children or their families in general. Exactly. Just not an ideal situation. You know, they did have the choice to opt in and out. A um, bunch of Patriots players probably thanking themselves that they opted out right now. They had some star power opt out, but as you can see, it's already hit the Patriots, so maybe not so bad a decision on their end. And you just hope that there's some kind of clarity in the future with this whole COVID situation, whether it's the NFL or anything in general. In a broader sense, you just hope it goes away and we can get some sense of normal. Right now, like the NFL is great to have back, but it's definitely not normal. It feels weird, but it's good to have something to watch. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, everybody wishes you know COVID could just go away with a snap. I'm sure that would be great. Everybody would do that in a heartbeat, but unfortunately, that is not the case. I know one player who definitely is thankful for opting out. You want to know who that is? Dante Hightower. C.J. Mosley. Oh. <laughs> not even because of COVID, just because of how the Jets look right now, which we'll get to after we finish up this. But I want to just get to something. So now we're actually facing each other in fantasy this week. Mm. And let's just say we're both taking a little bit of a hit because of this Titans-Steelers game. So I want to bring up that if you have fantasy players that are missing this week because of COVID-19, who do you fill your lineup in? Who, who are you going to start Right now, I'm missing Deontay Johnson, who probably wasn't going to play anyways because he suffered a concussion in last week's game and then was still in protocol, so I doubt he would have been cleared. And then I'm also missing Corey Davis. So two of my flex options, because in this league we run two flexes. Alex, I believe, is just missing Juju, which obviously is a big hit. So it's like, what are you going to do? How are we going to fill out these lineups, and how about everybody else listening? Yeah, what are I mean, they going to do? I mean, lucky for me, I, I made this move in both leagues. Unfortunately, I did a lot of mirror in both leagues. But I drafted just Justin Jefferson late, you know, a stash player, rookie. You never know with those young rookie receivers. And he had a breakout game last week with the Vikings. So, you know, I'm putting him in my, I'm putting him in my lineup this week and hoping, obviously I'm not expecting him to get 150 yards and a touchdown again. But hopefully something, some good production out of him. And uh, it's a nice little stash that I had. And hopefully he could fill in for Juju. Obviously big loss with Juju. But if you just look at the waiver wire, a bunch of guys available in a bunch of leagues. Look at Jimmy Graham with Nick Foles. Nick Foles has always loved this tight end. When back when he was in Philly, he loved he loved playing playing with Ertz and throwing him the ball. So Jimmy Graham had two touchdowns last week. I think over 50 yards, maybe 60 yards, and he had a great week. And then you look at some of the running backs. That you know, running backs are always a big problem in fantasy. And you got guys like Gaskins, Burkhead. Obviously, would have been a great spot, but he's out because the Patriots are out. And you look at the 49ers running backs, Wilson and McKinnon, if they're still available, probably Wilson is because no one expected him to be involved. And definitely available in a bunch of leagues still, that guys you could just fill in. You know, if Chris Carson plays, maybe maybe Carlos Hyde too. It all depends on what's available and what's not. Yeah, and 
A guy I picked up, too, for my flex is a guy in Dalton Schultz, tight end for the Cowboys, that, since you were on the topic of tight end with Jimmy Graham. Now, he is the leader in red zone targets for the Dallas Cowboys, and he has a favorable matchup against the Cleveland Browns, who, in the first three weeks, the tight ends going against them have done well. And he's projected, as of right now, with ESPN, with the Irish scoring for 7.9 points. It's not crazy, but it's something in need that you know has potential breakout there. And then I think you also have to look at players like Greg Ward Jr. on the Eagles, where the Eagles, I don't know if you saw this, Alex, but going into this week, they only had one active wide receiver on their lineup, and that was Greg Ward Jr. Now, I understand that may you know not look promising in terms of the defense is only going to look at him, but they are going up against the 49ers defense, who is not healthy, to say the least, and Greg Ward has made his mark with Carson Wentz, whether it was last season or this previous week. He's done well for his playing time. He's gotten targets. So you have to think that he's the one guy that Carson Wentz has chemistry with. So he'll be getting a lot of targets there. And then another guy, too, I would have to argue, even though he didn't have a good week three without Devontae Adams in the lineup, but I would have to say Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Alan Lazard is out indefinitely. And then Devontae Adams is still questionable for tomorrow. I think he is going to play, but it's still an option that he is the number two wide receiver right now on that team. So I think you have to look at him as well as just a replacement. It's yeah. not ideal, but this whole situation isn't, isn't ideal for fantasy players. No, definitely the volume is there for Greg, War, Greg Ward Jr. and Marquise Valdez-Scantling. Uh, both, I mean, they just don't have healthy receivers on either team right now. And obviously they both have great quarterbacks. So, I mean... Carson Wentz, who knows, we could put him in the great conversation yet. But Rodgers, definitely a Hall of Fame type quarterback. He'll get, he makes his receivers better. So that's why he's so good at what he does. And so the vo- volume is definitely there for Marquise Valdez-Scanton, as well as Greg Ward. And then for me too, I just ha- I'm having a terrible situation this week in fantasy because not only am I without Deontay Johnson and Corey Davis, but there's a chance now I could be out <laughs> Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Travis Kelsey. And the whole situation with this, too, is going to be something to look at with fantasy is that are they, if they play Tuesday, is that going to count for this week? I'm sure it would, but we don't even know if they're going to play. And then, like, I I don't know. No, Tuesday should definitely count for this week. Uh, ESPN will probably flex it a little bit. Yeah. They've done it before. It's like, a, it's like in baseball when, or basketball even sometimes when you have the All-Star break in the middle of the season. Not like the NFL where you have the Pro Bowl at the end. You know, they'll do... Right before the All-Star game, they'll do like an eight-game week, you know, where it's like Monday to next Tuesday. So, like, they've definitely flexed before in other sports. They'll definitely do it again. It's just an extra day. It's not like this game's being played in a month from now where they can't just leave the leave the scoring open for 24 extra hours. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there. It's definitely going to be something to look at. I mean, everything with COVID, we're going to hope that these cases start to, you know, die down a little bit and everything kind of gets contained and hopefully... They'll be able to do this because I don't want to see the NFL season go down. I know you don't want to see the NFL season go down. I want fantasy to keep going. I like my chances this year in both of my leagues, so we'll see what happens. But now we have to get to the Thursday night football game. And pretty much what we're going to be doing is just to point out just for the, you know our, our fans, listeners, we're going to be recording every Saturday, so we're always going to do a Thursday night review of the game. We'll preview any highlight, you know, any games of Sunday, and then we'll obviously also break down the latest news like we've been doing right now. So that's going to be the plan moving forward with diving into the end zone. But Thursday night, 
the Denver Broncos defeated the New York Jets 37-28. to And like I mentioned before, Alex and I are big Jet fans, so this one hurt a little bit. Sam Darnold was pretty much running for his life. Like, like always, that happens every single week. There's a lot of unnecessary timeouts at the end of the game, too many personal foul penalties, and then the Jets got beat by a third-string rookie quarterback, and somehow Adam Gase still has a job. The Broncos relied a lot on Melvin Gordon with the beat-up team. I mean, the Denver Broncos are probably one of the most injured teams in the NFL other than the 49ers. And then also Tim Patrick balled out as well. Six receptions, 113 yards, and a touchdown. But to be honest, it's not saying much when you're going up against this Jets secondary. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at Pierre Desir, he was burnt toast all night, and somehow he ended up with two picks and a touchdown. But the Jets secondary is nothing special. Last year, Greg Williams was able to uh, disguise how bad the secondary was and didn't look so bad. But this year, it's been brutal on the back end. Teams have just been airing it out week after week against the Jets. And Jets have, cannot get pressure on the quarterback, so that does not help the secondary. It's been pretty stout against the run game, but the secondary is looking awful this year. And there's there's doesn't seem like any no light at the end of the tunnel for this team right now yeah I mean the New York Jets are simply the worst team in football right now I could say that no problem I like I don't even know what to say whether it's as a fan or an analyst looking at from both sides there's just no positive thing to this team right now other than Mekhi Becton I would say are you know the first round pick out of Louisville but right now you had him who was Injured enough to, you know, be in question for the whole entire game, but then they have him as an emergency backup option, so they have him in pad still. And then you have Chuma Adoga, who was starting in at left tackle for him, go down. Mekhi Becton comes back into the game, and then eventually he's out because his shoulder is killing him. I mean, he never should have been played right there, and that just shows the bad coaching with Adam Gase and the decision-making. I mean, and everywhere Adam Gase has gone, there have been injury problems, and this sure seems like the issue right now. And this is what you have when you have, you have a coach coaching for his job. He's obviously going to play his best players. Um, Mekhi Becton's easily the best player on the Jets right now, but there was no reason to have him out there. But this coach knows every game matters to him. You know, if he, it was widely considered that if he didn't win this game, he was probably going to you know get fired. But you know, the Jets just don't care about their coaching or how the team looks, so they're going to keep him on for a little bit. And but he's he in his mindset, he's fighting for his job, so he's obviously going to put everybody. Uh, out there that he thinks gives him the best chance to win. Um, with the roster he has right now, he does not have a chance to win, especially the way he coaches and the way he calls plays. Um, not 100% on him, but he's definitely not doing the best with this team either. They have not looked competitive the first two games. They barely look competitive this game with getting a couple huge breaks. By I mean, A, just having a rookie quarterback who, on three days preparation, not knowing a single thing what he's doing, you know, throwing three horrible picks. But... He still has a job somehow, and he's probably going to be here for a little bit. And I, I want to bring up to your point now. So obviously, I, I understand that Adam Gase is going to want to play everybody that gives him the best chance to win. Again, he is coaching for his job right now. But don't you think it's like a little messed up that he threw Mikai Becton in there? I, to me, the thing is, is that he's a rookie left tackle who looks like he could be a star he looks like he could be a franchise left tackle and he could be with the New York Jets for a long time obviously that's high praise but it looks he has showed it and I feel like he's gotten that type of high praise throughout everywhere he's been just based on his size and his athletic ability and speed he's got everything he's got it all and he's got the mindset too but the thing is that you you know you almost think you could possibly ruin a career that way I understand it's a, it's a shoulder injury 
But the thing is, is that, you know, if something worse could have happened, you know, that could maybe give him issues throughout his whole career. It's no, something yeah. little like that, you know, Definitely injuries with can... his shoulder, you know, if he, he dislocates it or he does something with it in a weird way, he could lose mobility in that shoulder, flexibility in that shoulder permanently, which could alter his career in a whole, a whole nutshell. You're not going to be able to lift his arm or put it this way, put it that way. And it just ruins a promising career right from the third game of his career. There is no reason to have him in that game. He shouldn't even have been dressed. Um, but that just goes to show some of the incompetence that happens with the Jets sometimes and their coaching staff right now. Um, they just need a whole whole new change at the top of the team right now. I mean, I think Joe Douglas is doing okay, but training staff, medical staff, and the head coach right now look a little clueless out there with the injury department. And then you even have, too, Greg Williams, who was supposed to be one of the brighter spots of this coaching staff. You know, obviously the defense played decent for what it's worth last year i mean okay better than what we expected better than the, they played they outperformed their talent level on the defensive side of the ball last year exactly and then now you have a situation this year where the defense just looks awful complete like so bad i understand what they're without cj mosley but they didn't even have cj mosley last year so you can't even make that argument you can argue that they're without jamal adams Never but, heard of him. <laughs> but even still, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what to say for this team anymore. I feel like I, I talk about them so much and that they stress me out that I literally have nothing else to say anymore. I, I don't know what to say for this team. I mean, there's so many issues from top to bottom of the lineup, and the heck, and the coaching staff, everything is wrong. And a lot of people like us, you know, we want Gase gone, we want to see him gone. But there's a lot of other Jeff fans that are saying, well, you fire Gase. Who's going to take over as the offensive coordinator? Who is going to be that guy to lead Sam, hopefully, back into you know this positive way? Because ever, ever since Gase has got here, you've clearly seen that Sam Darnold's play has just gone down. Mm, He's yeah. just regressed so much. Definitely, yeah. I, honestly, you should let Sam Darnold call the plays. You know, he knows what he likes. He knows what he can do well. Just you know, let him call his own plays. But yeah, it's definitely um, sickening to watch this team a lot of times. You just run out of words. You know, transition to the other side of the ball, though. You look at the Broncos. They got this young quarterback playing well. And Drew Locke may or may not be ready to play next week with his shoulder. Um, he's 50-50 right now. So they could turn this thing around. They had a promising team last year at the end of the year with Drew Locke and all the weapons they had. They've already lost Sutton. Um, Noah Fant left the game. But it looks like he'll be okay. It's just a bruised knee. And uh, hopefully they can turn around their season unlike the New York team we were just talking about. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Broncos and, again, you know, we brought up how they have a lot of injuries. A lot of them are out for the year. But you have to see some positive from this game, whether it's against the Jets or not. I mean, Melvin Gordon looked really well. Phillip Lindsay is hurt right now, so obviously that's, you know, giving Melvin Gordon all the carries. Excuse me. But then you look at Tim Patrick, who, again, like I mentioned, had a really good game. You have some positives there. And Drew Locke, who people are thinking is going to be the next big thing, next big thing in Denver, may not... You know, who, who knows what's going to happen there. Let's see. Alex just gave me his phone. We got some breaking news right now. So, obviously, with Cam Newton out versus the Chiefs due to COVID-19, Ian Rappaport tweeted this, by the way. The Patriots are expected to start Brian Hoyer versus Kansas City. All right, so exactly what we said. Yeah, I think that's the best move. I mean, he's the veteran guy, has been with this team before, and... 
that shows that Jared Stidham, I guess they really didn't like, huh? Yeah, I mean, I I guess he didn't really play much last year. I mean, the preseason, that's where they liked him, I guess, in the practice and whatever. But, I mean, in the little game action that he came in, he threw a pick to Jamal Adams, and Jamal Adams doesn't catch the ball that much. <laughs> I was just going to say, so, the only action he got was against good. the Jets, of course. Yeah, and, I mean, I think that's definitely a good move. Bill Belichick knows what he's doing, obviously. We can never uh, go yeah. against anything he does, but... Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I, I think that's going to be a little tough for Brian Hoyer, but we'll see what happens there. But I just want to quickly get back to the Broncos. And what do you think about Drew Locke? I just want to ask this real quick before we move on. Well, you know, he's definitely got the, got the intangibles to do it. And similar to the Bills, and unlike the Jets, the Broncos drafted their quarterback, and then they started reading the book on how to build around a young quarterback. You know, they get this guy Cortland Sutton a couple years ago in the second round. They drafted Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler in the first and second round. They drafted Noah Fant in the first round last year. They, they went out and signed a guard. Uh, think, I think a guard and maybe a tackle. And they drafted a left tackle two years ago in the first round as well. They're building this offense, this team around the offense right now, around this quarterback. They, they've had the good defense for years. Obviously, they're a little banged up right now. But they're really building around Drew Locke if they think he's the guy. And so they're building, they're giving him pieces because they do think he's the guy. So hopefully he will can carry on with his success from last year and build a nice season together for the Broncos. Yeah, definitely. And before we move on to some other news that we have going around in the NFL, I just want to play a nice little audio clip that we got of Steve Smith. He really went in on Greg Williams. And, and you know, I, I look at the Thursday Night Football pregame and postgame crew, and it's definitely an odd one, I would say. But Steve Smith definitely went in on Greg Williams, so I'm going to play this audio for you right now, and then we'll get our thoughts in right after this. What I'm talking about is straight Greg Williams. Wherever he goes, the nonsense follows. That's how he runs his defense, and that's how he does it, straight up. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to believe me. I'm saying I'm willing to put myself out there and call a spade a spade. And that's what Greg Williams has always done. That's who he is. And that's what he preaches. And until something else changes, I see it for what it is. If it smells like a pig, it looks like a pig, and it's oinking, then guess what, my friend? It's a pig. Steve, I'm not defending Greg Williams. I played with him when he was in Cleveland, and I understand the mentality that he tries to get these guys to play with, to hit man, at the whistle a, or even I'm beyond the whistle. With that's and not I'm a mentality. Not, hey, look, look. I, that's I'm not, not defending Greg Williams. I'm not defending Greg it's Williams not a at all for his defensive bro. line I'm trying not for to any cuss. of those hits. I'm trying not to curse on TV. Well, don't cuss. But I'm, but I'm saying you, the offensive line I, for the Broncos I'm just telling also you, Greg has Williams a responsibility to protect their quarterback. Man, what? Listen, we can sit here till we can be here till 5 a.m. You can sell me the river, you can sell me the bridge. I'm telling you, I played against Greg, and I'm not buying what you what you trying to sell me. I ain't got, I don't even got no cash on me. We all, you know, it's contactless. I'm not buying it, bro. All right, so there you have it. That's what Steve Smith had to say on Greg Williams. It's safe to say that Steve Smith is not a fan. How Greg Williams, I mean, he wouldn't even let Joe Thomas talk there and get his word in. That's how much Steve Smith just really wanted to make sure everybody that was watching knew how he felt on Greg Williams. And I mean, again, Steve Smith, when he was with Carolina, played, you know, against the Saints a lot of times throughout his career, 
when Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, it. I mean, we know Greg Williams has this dirty vibe to him. He kind of, like Steve Smith has said, he's kind of had that from everywhere he's gone. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at the guy who's making the comments. Steve Smith definitely played against him a lot in the Saints when he was with the Panthers. But you just look about when he played him. He played him right in the midst of the bounding gate. So he's probably got a little chip on his shoulder when it comes to Greg Williams. does not like the guy all that much. He's felt there were some dirty hits, and then it comes out three years later. He's paying people to make these hits. Um Obviously not the best look for Williams. Um, but, yeah, just in general, he coaches his defense to be physical. I mean, nothing wrong with that. If The, the bounty gate, yeah, something wrong with that. Coaching your def- defense to be physical, nothing wrong with that. But, the what, they had five, six personal foul penalties. Obviously, that's a little excessive. May re- cause to raise some concern with what he's doing in the coaching standpoint. But it it wasn't like that last year it was not like that with the browns when he was with the browns it's just he coaches them to be physical and there's nothing wrong with that but the penalties obviously makes you take a second look um you got to you got to teach his defense to be physical and disciplined because the penalties need to stop the thing is though is that at the end of that audio i kind of agree with joe thomas though there that the broncos o line still has to manage to block these guys at the end of the game like i understand there was a lot of conflicting things going on there i mean adam gase simply did not need to call his three timeouts at the end of the game when they were down nine with what 30 seconds left in the game i mean they should have just let it let them take a knee let the end let the game end and that was that have a nice peaceful ending where everybody shakes hand everybody's happy clearly that didn't happen we know vic fangio you know, just went straight for the locker room, tried to get some of his players into the locker room as fast as possible because they were pretty mad on the sideline about those hits. I mean, it's a situation where why would you even try to throw on twice on that fourth down at the end? You know, they clearly went for the one-on-one coverage, and then he got knocked for it. I mean, yes, they still shouldn't have happened. I'm not saying the Jets are in the right here. They definitely should have not committed those fouls at the end of the game, but... You also have to look at it from the Broncos' side. It's that they should have at least tried to block them and maybe not have done that play call. Just take the knee, let them get the ball back, and whatever, do whatever the Jets would want to do. I mean, what could they even come up with? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's just unnecessary to have your quarterback, especially when you're already on your third-string quarterback. He's already taken some big hits in the game. You don't need him getting hurt. Um, definitely on the off- offensive line, you got to block a little better if you're going to do something like that. But... I mean, if you roll out, what, three seconds off the clock, you throw the ball out of bounds, maybe another three seconds. If you punt the ball straight up in the air on fourth down, it probably takes just as much time off the clock, if not maybe more. So definitely uh, unnecessary to be throwing the ball and kind of warranted what was coming. Um, Not saying the personal foul, but if you don't block and you're throwing the ball on fourth down with 10 seconds left, quarterback's probably going to take a hit if he can. Exactly. I mean, you, you look at it, they're definitely both on wrong sides, I think. And obviously, the whole entire situation towards the end of the game could have been handled better. And it starts with Adam Gase and not calling those timeouts, personally. I think that's where it starts. But, hey, hopefully we won't see anything like that in the NFL again. I mean, you, you never like to see this type of dirty play. And uh, according to Steve Smith, though, as long as Greg Williams has a job, you're always going to see it from one type of team. But right. I guess right now that team is the Jets. So we'll move on now. We got some breaking news in terms of with extensions. And Marlon Humphrey, Ravens cornerback, agreed to a five-year extension worth $97.5 million with $66 million in total guarantees. The deal will keep him with the Ravens until 2026. And in his career, he's racked up 150 total tackles, four forced fumbles, and eight interceptions. Now, I understand Marlon Humphrey 
is this star quarterback for the Ravens. And I think he definitely has the potential to obviously continue to grow and be better. He's only 24 years old out of Alabama. But I, I don't know if this is just me. Do you feel like this is a little too expensive for what he's done so far in the league? I mean, this is kind of where the, the cornerback market takes you. I mean, you got, you got a young corner. He's doing well. He's physical. He's, he's the Jalen Ramsey, Tredavious White type. Obviously, when you look at his deal and you look at Tredavious White, that's probably where he should have ended up being. But the Ravens wanted to make sure they had their guy. Um, the Ravens are definitely in that window right now where they have a good team and they have a quarterback on a rookie contract that's pretty good. So they want to keep that team together for right now, and they're spending money while they can. So it makes sense from the Ravens' standpoint to get their guy locked up. And if you're Marlon Humphreys, you're definitely not turning that contract down because it's a rich contract for a guy like him. I mean, you look at last week with the Chiefs, he was definitely shadowing Tyree Kill. He's that type of corner. And hopefully he can build on that play and get to the Jalen Ramsey type of level throughout his career. Yeah, and I totally understand. I mean, the need, you know, if you feel you need to overpay for a player because you obviously want to keep him around. And like you said, the Ravens are in that win-now mode. Their defense is phenomenal in my eyes personally I, I really like the additions you know last year with Marcus Peters you know they traded for him from the Rams and then you have Calais Campbell now the year before with Earl Thomas yeah well <laughs> that that one didn't go so well but then also you know drafting Patrick Queen at LSU you know I'm a big LSU fan so obviously I'm always yeah they got a fan some LSU play, guys, playmakers but. on the defensive side of the ball exactly and then like you said Lamar is still on his rookie contract and I'm sure they're really not looking forward to paying him in a sense that only because it's going to be so expensive. Yeah, I mean, the running back market is getting up there, but maybe they'll <laughs> pay him quarterback dollar. <laughs> you know, you and what? It's just you and Bill Polian that consider him a running back still, huh? No, I mean, what? He had 97 passing yards against the Chiefs last week. Probably had more rushing yards last week. Yeah, you know, he's a dual threat. He could do it all. Okay. That's what you got to look at. And we'll see if he can actually take that home. Because, you know, it's, it's true, and the facts show that every time he's down in a game, you can never bring him back. Yeah. Anytime Ravens, he's down by 10, I think he's 0-5 now after that loss. No, the the number was 8. The Ravens, every time the Ravens have had a deficit of 8 points or larger under Lamar Jackson, which is a one-possession game, touchdown and two-point conversion, they have not won at any point in the game. Yeah, and just to speak on the Ravens a little bit and kind of go off, I mean, you look at the Ravens and their offense. You know, you have a nice running back duo right now of Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. For the, but as of right now, I feel like they're really not playing that well. Mark Ingram running the ball has really hasn't been all that spectacular. J.K. Dobbins is kind of just like splitting carries with Ingram, but then also Gus Edwards is getting involved a lot. So you're wondering when J.K. Dobbins is going to take over that role. He's really been having more of an impact on the passing game. But then I feel like you look at Lamar Jackson and his weapons. His number one option clearly is Mark Andrews. The stats show that, and we all know. Lamar loves Mark Andrews. He loves throwing him. It's his, you know, the tight end. It's the quarterback's safety valve. But then you look at the wide receivers. Marquise Brown and Willie Sneed have to do more. I mean, especially Marquise Brown. Second year guy out of Oklahoma. You need more from him. You know, this guy was drafted to be this, you know, everyone thought the next coming of Tyreek Hill because of speed. But it doesn't look like he's going to get to that level, not anytime soon at least. Hopefully in his future... I, I just don't know what the... I feel like the Ravens' wide receivers lack so much. I feel like they're the type of team that you're going to see come week eight at that trade deadline, may trade for a wide receiver. Just because I feel like just their wide receivers aren't spectacular. I think that's the only thing their offense is missing. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, they got the running backs, they got the running quarterback, and the quarterback. Uh, he's, they have the he, tight end. They have the old line. Uh, obviously, he had the unanimous MVP season last year with the pretty much identical group of receivers. Maybe you know, one or two bottom guys is different. But same receivers as last year. He had a great year throwing the ball. But he also had a much harder schedule. You know, he's playing some good defenses. Um, as you get older in the NFL, people know what you can and can't do. And people are sitting heavy on the run and making Lamar throw the ball. And so far this season, he's struggled a little bit. So we'll see if he can get that turned around. Because, you know, receivers obviously not the, the best group. Doesn't really have an elite guy. But he's got Mark Andrews. And... Last year, these same guys were enough for him. So you just, it makes you think, like, what's different? Yeah, and, you know, we bring up, you know, we're both obviously praising Mark, Mark Andrews as being that number one guy in Baltimore. But then you look at last week against the Chiefs, and, I mean, obviously the Chiefs know that that's the favorite target. So obviously they're going to look to shut him down. But somehow, some way, you have to get Mark Andrews more involved in that game. I mean, he did drop a couple passes. He did, game. fair. But at the same time, though, I think he was only targeted, like, six or seven times. I think maybe eight. I think he had like five receptions. And then, but he, he, either way, I just feel like you still have to get Mark Andrews well, more involved somehow. Yeah, I don't know how many targets he had, but he only had one reception. It was like 20-yard catch. But I don't even know how much the Ravens threw the ball in that game. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm actually here. I'm going to real quick look up Mark Andrews' stat line because I'm really curious. Because I know it wasn't crazy. Let me see. All right, here we go. So he had three receptions for 22 yards, and his longest reception was 13. Mm-hmm. That was it. He didn't have a touchdown, but he did. Have, he did have eight targets on the game. Okay, so but he, even still, I feel like eight is not enough, especially in the game against the Chiefs. I understand the Chiefs are a well-run team, organization. They got everything, but you have to find a way to get Mark Andrews involved. If you're John Harbaugh, you have to figure that out. You have to. He's your number one option. He's Lamar's favorite option. You got to do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, though. Lamar only threw 28 passes in that game. That's like almost a quarter of his uh, his passes went to Mark Andrews. So it's a pretty heavy share right there. I guess when you look at it that way because he didn't throw the ball all that much. You know, nowadays, 20, back then, 28 passes used to be a lot. But nowadays, That's, you have yeah. kids like Joe Burrow throwing 60 passes in a second NFL <laughs> game. Yeah, poor Joe Burrow. Oh, two and one. Rough start. But... He still looks good. It's just a matter of the Bengals not having enough pieces around him. But he's definitely showing a lot of potential to be that guy that everyone thought he was going to be coming out of LSU. So we'll move on right now to our last topic to get to, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. We kind of talked about them a little bit when we were talking about the Denver Broncos just based off injuries, and we're going to get to that right now. The 49ers are slowly starting to get some of their key players back to the lineup, and that starts with wide receiver Debo Samuel and tight end George Kittle. They're set to return tomorrow night against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sure Carson Wentz is not happy about that one. But before we get into how big of an impact that is for them, I just want to talk about the other injuries that they're dealing with right now. You have Jimmy Garoppolo, Dre Greenlaw, Raheem Mostert, Emmanuel Mosley, D. Ford and Jordan Reed have been placed on the IR. Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas are both out for the year with torn ACLs. And then Richard Sherman, Richard Sherman, who was on the IR since week one, is set to return in the next week or two. So he's coming back soon, but still obviously... Not for a couple of weeks. And the 49ers are still finding ways to win games. Nick Ball- Nick Mullins has looked great in the one and a half games he's played so far this season. I understand it was against the Jets and then the Giants, obviously both lacking in defense, but it's still something promising to see. I mean, I had the game on last Sunday against the Giants. Nick Mullins, I thought, was making some pretty good throws, whether it's against the defense or not. He was fitting it into some tough spots. I think Kyle Shanahan, again, is one of the 
best offensive court offensive court coaches, excuse me, in the NFL. And he's showing that right now. He's getting the best out of all these players. Even if they're not supposed to be the top players in the game, he's still making it work. Which is what everybody expected from Adam Gase, but clearly he's not doing that just to bring up the Jets again. But, I mean, you look at the 49ers, and I'm sure 49er fans are so happy that Debo Samuel is finally making his debut this season. And of course, getting George Kittle back is huge. Especially for the uh, or second-year quarterback. Yeah, definitely. You talk about a quarterback needing weapons, you know. The backup quarterback, it's definitely nice to have a blanket like George Kittle and some receivers to throw to. The 49ers have definitely never been a, a pass-heavy team, but it's, it's good to have targets out there. You know, you have uh, Jeff Wilson, and you have McKinnon running the ball pretty well right now, and they have the hasty guy who's the undrafted free agent. Didn't play that much last week, but they have healthy backs. You know, they're missing their top two guys, but they still have a lot of depth there. And they're still a very good team, even with all these injuries. You know, I mean, even in the, the tough NFC West, it is now. You know, you got the Seahawks at 3-0, and but all every other team in that division is 2-1. and It's a tight division. Only one of them can win that division. And maybe even one of them loses out on the wild card spot because the other two just take it. Yeah, the, that's probably the best division in football right now. No doubt about that. And what I want to hit on, too, is the wide receivers for the Niners, too. I understand Debo Samuel has been out. But he's coming back. Brandon Ayuk at uh, Arizona State has looked pretty good up until this point. Nothing phenomenal, but you know, from a rookie wide receiver, I think they're definitely happy from what they've seen. Kendrick Bourne has been doing well, and you know, I, I think everything with the Niners right now is going pretty well for what they've been dealing with. I mean, it really stinks that all these injuries happen, and the whole entire team and fans of the Niners are blaming MetLife's turf. That has been a big thing lately is that everybody is seeming to have a problem with the brand new, brand new MetLife turf. Yeah, it's been approved except for the Jets and Giants, apparently. Yeah, exactly. It's been approved by the NFL multiple times. I, I don't see the issue with it. I mean, I can understand that they're frustrated with how many injuries are happening on that field, but, I mean, it's been approved by the NFL. Yeah, it's been approved by the NFL, the Players Association. I mean, hey, maybe it's their equipment, but, you know, I don't think they're going to speak up against their equipment because, you know, it's putting money in their pockets, so why would they want to speak up against Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, whoever whoever's giving them money? <laughs> they ain't going to say anything to them. Exactly. But I, I look at this game for the 49ers, and again, I, th- I think it's another win. Um, the Eagles... Yeah. yeah, the Eagles don't look too good. And if, if you're the 49ers, and you can win this game with your backup quarterback, maybe get Jimmy G next week, and you're 3-1 and one in that tough division with all these injuries, you're feeling pretty good about your season right now. Yeah, and then again, you know... God forbid if Jimmy Garoppolo was to have some type of setback. I mean, I think they're most definitely comfortable comfortable with Nick Mullins at the helm. I mean, he, he's looked great. Even if it's, again, like I said before, I don't care that it's against the Jets or Giants. He made some nice throws and was creating plays on his feet. He, he, he looked really good. And I'm 49ers fans, at least you have some positive, positivity to think about. You get George Kittle back. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the coach That's before. Fun. And the talent level. They obviously have great talent. They're all hurt right now. But you have to make do with what you can in the NFL. It's a next man up type of league. And some of these guys are playing above their talent level. We talked about that before. Uh, Shanahan brings out the best in his guys. And they're playing really well right now. Yeah, and then, you know, your cousin plays too, Fred Warner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, again, he, he's been great on defense. He's kind of been the leader there with all these injuries right now. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with the Niners. I, yeah. I think their season's going to be fine. Uh, yeah, I think they'll be fine. They're probably going to be a little cautious, too, because, you know, they have they had a tough division they're in, but they've had an easy start to the schedule. You know, the Giants and Jets, yikes. 
And they play the Eagles this week, who looked awful, and they play the Dolphins next week. So maybe they'll be a little cautious with their, their guys and get ready for the, I believe they play the Rams the following week. Yep. So start those division games with the healthy team, hopefully. And like you mentioned before, that they're 2-1. and one. That first loss came at the beginning of the season to the Arizona Cardinals in their own division. Yeah, I'm just looking at their schedule right now. They got the Dolphins after the... Dolphins after the Eagles, so that's two nice games there. But after that, they have a tough stretch. They got the Rams, the Patriots, the Seahawks, and the Packers. And then the Saints and the Rams again. All right, so I think you look at it that way, and you have to hope that everybody that is injured right now would be 100% by then. And maybe that's how they're thinking. You know, let these guys sit an extra week. Let them heal up more because they know they have a tough schedule coming. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that is a smart strategy. So we'll see what happens there. And the 49ers and the whole NFL season as a whole right now. Let's hope it still continues. Let's hope everything with COVID gets out of the way. Please just keep the NFL going. It's my favorite thing going right now, even with the NBA Finals and the NHL you know, Stanley Cup Finals just finishing up. I've really only been locked into football since it began, and it would really be heartbreaking to see it end. So I'm hoping all this COVID cases kind of clears out of the way. I know it's asking for a lot, especially with this whole entire year, because... 2020 has been hell, to say the least, but we'll see what happens there. We'll see. We'll see. It's rough. Rough times. Rough times. Alex, is there anything else you want to say before we go? No, I think that's it. We hit on all our points today, addressed all all the topics, and uh, like you said, let's just keep football running, hopefully. Enough of this COVID nonsense. Just go away, please. Exactly. And before we end the show, I just want to remind everybody again, so this is pretty much how the format is going to be. We're going to be recording every Saturday. It's going to be me and Alex from now on. We're going to be pretty much breaking down the Thursday night game every time. We'll highlight some Sunday matchups, which we didn't do this week, but because there was a lot of other news to talk about. But then again, any other breaking news that is going on, we will always bring up. I'm thinking about starting up like a fan email that if anybody wants to email in any questions, since obviously we don't do any social media right now, we can do something like that. I'm looking into starting an Instagram We'll see that, you know, once I get more details on that, I'm sure I'll announce it next week and we'll see what happens there. But anyways, I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been Dominic Arbolino and Alex Warner joining me. And I hope to hear you guys, or not hear you guys, but I hope you guys listen next week.